Good morning, everyone. And I want to welcome you today uh, to our fourth and final Sunday in our Advent season, y'all. We made it. We're right before Christmas. We're right there. And we're so glad that you joined us this morning. Um, we have a lot to get into, and we just want to get into it and jump into it for today. But let's pray really quickly. Father, thank you for being with us. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for being with us in the worship, Lord, and um, during our time of giving. And now we ask that we continue to worship with our hearts and our ears as we listen to what you have to say to us, Father. And uh, let it not be me, Father God, but let it be you speaking through me. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So like I said before, we ventured through the last, uh, the first three themes, rather, in the Advent season. And our first three themes, if you need to remember, first week was hope. Our second week was peace. And last week, we focused on joy. And today, we finally have arrived to our final theme, which is love. Uh, while I was preparing this song, uh, excuse me, while I was preparing our message for today, um, I was reminded of the song by the Black Eyed Peas. Um, Self-disclosure, I hate the Black Eyed Peas. I never really liked their music. thought it was kind of corny. And I also thought that this song was kind of corny. And the song is Where Is The Love? Most of you guys are thinking, yeah, that song's corny. Um, but there was one part of the song that resonated with me in preparation. And that one part says, Father, 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 help us send some guidance from above. Because we got pe people got me out here questioning, where is the love? And I'm not going to front. That's real. I mean, through our Advent season, all these themes have kind of felt foreign to be walking through at such a time as this. Uh, times where things feel disconnected, not only from the world, but from each other. And the accustomed, normal ways of how we experience love and affection, especially during the holidays, um, feels stunted, feels barricaded. Uh, and even more so, if you've been socially distancing at home, it might feel as if there is no love for anyone in your household. Y'all have been together for so long at this point that you want to choke them or you want to yell or you just want to ignore them and go to a new space. Because you've been in each other's faces under this intense amount of stress and pressure for so long. So much has played into us feeling right now that love is lost. But I want to remind you that love is not lost. In fact, as we prep for Christmas this upcoming week, we need to be reminded that love is not lost. It is here. And Jesus's arrival on earth is the start of a beautiful, of a beautiful and the most important chapter of a love story between God and humanity. And in this chapter, we see human characters also play out this story of love. Now, one character that doesn't get enough love and enough shine and enough credit is Joseph. A lot of attention is put on Jesus, rightly so. And naturally, a lot of attention is also put on Mary, his mother, because of the circumstances surrounding Jesus's birth. But Joseph doesn't get enough credit in my book. I'm also a dad, so sometimes his dad be trying to get credit sometimes where credit is due and sometimes credit where it's not due. So I feel for Joseph in this moment. And it feels as if he gets overlooked. But as we look at the book of, of Matthew chapter 1, Joseph, in my opinion, is a beautiful example of love. 
a silent yet powerful look at love in action. And his love is an earthly example of God's love, a love that is also playing out supernaturally in the heavens at the very same time. So we're looking at two strong stories and examples of love simultaneously playing out. And we can learn from these two examples of love. This brings us to the title of our message today, Love's Response, Lessons from Jesus' Fathers. Now, I'm saying Jesus' fathers because we're going to be looking at Joseph, his earthly father, and God, Jehovah, uh, his heavenly father, the father that actually uh, brought Mary to be with child through the power of the Holy Spirit. And we've already read the chapter, so you have an idea of who Joseph is. And I can't front, like I said before, Joseph is someone that I kind of connect and commiserate with. I see myself in Joseph and in his shoes. Uh, if we look at the story, I mean, look at it. He's about to marry the woman of his dreams. They're engaged and they're in the second stage of what is their marriage journey um, in the Jewish custom. I'm not going front. I was mad hyped when I got engaged. I did the engaging other proposing, of course. Um, I was super hyped. I had all the ideas of what the engagement would look like and the proposal would look like and it went well. And then I got a chance to think about uh, the marriage stage and 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 what it is to be in love and and uh, my wife and I always talk about one of our favorite stages in our marriage and in our relationship is actually our engagement. I mean, I was stoked to be marrying the love of my life and my best friend, and we were doing all this planning and and dreaming, and we were thinking about meditating on the adventures that we'd embark on. I was most excited about the partnership, like the opportunity to build a life with somebody else. I thought that was so dope. And I'd like to think that that's where Joseph was also at this place in, in Matthew chapter one. He's probably enamored by the ideals and in the ideas of what it means to be in love and to get married. And here's the thing. We get a chance to see this weird fizzier show up in what might've been Joseph's Ideals and ideas versus what became his reality. And I get to, we get to ask ourselves the question as well what happens when our ideals and our ideas of love don't match up with what is happening in front of us? Which brings us to our first point love isn't based on our ideals or ideas. We have been groomed to believe that love requires a certain set of circumstances in order for us to be willing to give it a go or to share it with someone else. And we often believe that it, in order for true love to exist, it must exist in the sphere of how we've envisioned it, whether that is in regards to the person, the place, the thing, or the stage that we are in life. Think about that for a second in regards to a possible romantic partner or love interest. Many of us enter into relationships with other people with a certain level of stipulations, ideals, and ideas of what we presume love should look like for us, how it should feel like for us, what it should be like for us, whether it's the type of partner, tall, short, with money, little money, high profile, quiet lifestyle, or whether it's regarding to your situation, you already have a certain type of job or your, your living situation or your health and your finances or the place that you are in life, 
or whether it's in regards to the environment or the places that you, the, the physical environment that you're in, whether it's your neighborhood or what's going on in our society, we all have this perfect set of circumstances that we believe love should happen under. I'm reminded of The Bachelor and The Bachelorette for the for the first few years of my marriage uh, to my wife. We watched a lot of The Bachelor and The Bachelorette. Like I really, actually, really enjoyed watching it. Um, and I think this show kind of embodies the 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 point that I'm trying to get across here. If you've ever watched The Bachelorette or The Bachelor, it's about a group of men or women that have set out to win the love and affection of one man or one woman, or one woman or one man. And in the hopes of being able to become engaged to that person by the end of the season. And as you watch the show, it's really remarkable because the love that these people are chasing happens in the most conducive and perfect set of circumstances. Like, one episode, we're going to Hawaii, yay! And everybody's like, yeah, we're going to Hawaii, this is great! Or next, we're going to Australia or Bora Bora. And finally, the finale, we're going to be shooting in the Maldives. It's like, this is like the perfect set of circumstances. To top it off, their flights, their travel, taken care of. Their food, handled. Transportation, done. Anything they need, they have at their disposal. So it becomes very easy for people to fall in love under these circumstances. They're ideal, but what happens every time that we have The Bachelor? A couple of months after the show ends and the couple is engaged, that same couple ends up breaking up. And they we were better off as friends. Love didn't find us. It's not that love didn't find you or love couldn't work. It's because once the set of circumstances that made love perfect or ideal no longer fit the ideals or ideas that you had, those ideals of perfection, the love between those two people died. You see, love that occurs only within our ideals or ideas isn't love, it's fascination. Oftentimes when we have our ideals and ideas of love and they aren't met, we become disinterested, disappointed. Some of us have been in a relationship where you get broken up with or maybe you do the breaking up and it's, it's not you, it's me, it's just not working for me anymore. Because the infatuation, the, 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 the preoccupation, the fascination with love and those feelings have dissipated. The circumstances are no longer perfect or ideal. And you're left to grapple with the reality of what lies in front of you. And this is where we find Joseph. He's at a crossroads. You see, Joseph and Mary are ready to, to get married. They're engaged. And yet in the midst of the engagement, Joseph begins to observe and notice with his eyes that Mary, his betrothed wife, is pregnant. But the problem is Joseph and Mary haven't been intimate with each other just yet. And the Bible kind of goes into, depending on what trans, uh, translations, or if you go into some uh, understanding some of the original language, there was a sense of disappointment that laid in front of Joseph. Think about it. This man who was set to take on a new life with a new wife was now faced with the prospect of having to lose it all and to start all over again. 
having to lose everything that he had wished for, what he was dreaming about, what he was thinking of, was now threatened by the circumstances of the growing belly of his wife that he had nothing to do with that stood in front of him. Many times we come face to face with the reality of love and it doesn't quite fit the ideals and the ideas that we've held in our head for so long. Whether it is how we envisioned our family life to look like or how friendships were supposed to play out or the difficulty that lays ahead in our, or in our romantic and spousal relationships. And in that, we experience a crushing, demoralizing feeling. And we get left with the question, this is how it ends up. This wasn't the way that it was supposed to be. Ask yourself right now, have you experienced the disappointment in the shortcomings of your ideals and ideas of love and it's left you questioning, concerned, confused because what you believed loved to be is not what lays in front of you. And it makes you uncomfortable, makes you nervous, makes you sad, anxious. It brings up all these feelings of discomfort that you don't want to sit with. But I want to submit to you this morning that those feelings of discomfort are important because, in point number two, love often requires us to sit with our discomfort. You see, the existence of discomfort does not mean the absence of love. In fact, I would argue that sometimes the measure of love that we, the measure of love is found in our willingness to sit with the discomfort caused by interacting with other human realities of those that we care for or have affection towards. Let's take a look back at Joseph and see what he says. You see, at the opening of verse 20 in chapter 1 of Matthew, we find Joseph doing what? He is thinking. And he's thinking about the circumstances set before him. Um, if you've ever watched any of the Jesus movies, sometimes they portray Joseph lying in bed, tormented by this notion of understanding that his wife that he had not yet lay with is pregnant. His betrothed wife is, is pregnant. And the Bible tells us that Joseph was sitting in the reality of what he observed, pondering on what to do. Think about this, y'all. When we've met, when we've been met with the disappointment or the discouragement that sometimes we find in love's journey, whether it's with family members, romantic partners, with friends, with those that we care about, sometimes we get stuck in a place of pondering what to do. And for Joseph, it is in this moment that the angel comes and meets him in a dream. And the angel says something to him. Angel says, Joseph, Joseph, no, stay the course. Marry this woman. Marry, marry, and accept the baby that is in her because she is pregnant with the Messiah, the Son of the Most High. You know what I heard? Joseph, I know you're uncomfortable. 
And this isn't what you envision. This doesn't mean the ideals. This doesn't mean the ideas that you had set out before you when you were going to take this woman to be your wife for better, for worse, when you embarked on this journey of love. But Joseph, even though this situation makes you uncomfortable and you may not fully understand it, you must love and accept her anyways. The angel meets Joseph in a supernatural encounter, confirming, no, commanding him to love Mary and accept Jesus in the midst of his human sense of discomfort. And y'all, this feels so foreign. God, hold up. If I'm Joseph, this is the question I'm asking myself. All right, God, you come to me in this mystical, magical way and you confirm and command me to love, but I have to do this still in my humanity, in the human sense. Yo, God, are you missing something? Do you not see the circumstances? Do you not see what kind of situation this puts me in? And imagine this, even though Mary and Joseph are betrothed to be married and recognized by Jewish custom as those that are on their way, because consummation hadn't happened yet, this is, in a sense, this pregnancy is a secret. Only Mary and Joseph know what's happening at, at, at that exact moment. That means that people are going to be looking at Joseph and possibly not understand what's happening and have questions about, yo, 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 wait, hold up, y'all betrothed to be married, but y'all ain't married yet. What's going on here? D did she cheat? Are you going to let her get away with this? Joseph, are you punking out? Aren't you going to stand up and, and say something and do something here? See, Joseph might have been seen as someone without backbone or morality because in the eyes of the law and in the eyes of culture and the eyes of custom, the right response was to leave Mary, but that was not love's response. And sometimes love forces us to sit in the tension of uncomfortable feelings and unnecessary scrutiny. Sometimes love's response feels like it isn't the right response. And love's response is sometimes a response that is incongruent with what we are being told or what we've been groomed to believe. You see, love's response goes against the status quo or the statutes of a social circle or a way of belief or thinking. Love's response sometimes goes against the expected reaction or maybe even deeper, the, justifi the justifiable consequences or ramifications of what we see in front of us. Sometimes love's response doesn't make sense. And sometimes love's response puts us in a predicament as where we feel uncomfortable because something else feels like it should be what we're doing. And yet this pulling feeling of love, this, this, this understanding of affection that is pulling at us is leading us towards a different direction. This is where I feel that Joseph was at this time. And it brings us to... Another point, and that point is love is expressed through action. There have been moments when I was growing up as a kid that the right response from my parents was to administer and to inflict a punishment or discipline 
onto me, a, a punishment that I probably deserved, uh, a consequence that was right for me to encounter. But instead, I was met with a sense of love and care and empathy from their actions, one that I was not prepared for, one that I did not deserve. And in that, I'm reminded of God's love towards you and me. You see, the journey of God's love has been one that is captured in his pursuit of us. Our own humanity led to the disappointment, shortcoming, and lack of fulfillment of what should have been the ideal situation. We should have been walking in lockstep in close community with God from the start of time all the way through. But you see, we were separated from God as a result of our own error, the error and the actions of Adam and Eve. You see, they were rooted in their own selflessness, selfishness and sin. And their choice, their action led us to be kept from experiencing unity with God our Father. And in the midst of that disappointment we cause, God didn't abandon us. He didn't deny us. He didn't discard us. Yes, his heart was grieved. Yes, his heart was broken. Yes, he was pained. But the error in our ways didn't lead to him getting rid of us. Here's the issue. It led to a tension between us and God and who he is. You see, our sinfulness led us to be no longer righteous in God's eyes. And because God is a holy God, he can't associate himself with someone or something that isn't holy. And yet, despite the fact that we cause disappointment, despite the fact that we cause tension, he still loved us in the midst of that. He wanted to be with us, so much so that God acted. You see, God gave us his son, his only son, Jesus. And God's pursuit of love towards us was expressed not by just what he said, but with what he was willing to do for you and me, and we see that clearly in John 3, verse 16, and most of us, if not all of us, know that verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whosoever might believe in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. You see, God gave his Son, Jesus the Christ, that was born in Mary, that was conceived through the Holy Spirit. God gave that Son out of an act of love so that we can be restored back onto him. Before we go forward, let's go back really quickly and look at Joseph. So remember now, Joseph is sitting on the edge of his bed and he's with these feelings of discomfort and the angel comes up to him and says, Joseph, don't hesitate to take Mary as your wife. She is pregnant by the Holy Spirit. She is going to have a son. You must name him Jesus for he is going to save the people from their sin. Huh? So in this moment of his discomfort, he is confronted with the reality of his situation and what God has in store for him. And then the Bible tells us that he wakes up from the dream. And what does it say? He did as the Lord asked and took Mary as his wife and Jesus as his son. He took as in Joseph married her and accepted her. Joseph was commanded by the angel to move forward in an act of love and devotion to the will of God, which was then expressed 
through his commitment to Mary and the coming baby Jesus. It was mo it was it, it was Joseph's, excuse me, outward expression of marriage to Mary that marked the inward commitment of love to both God and Mary. And it was God's outward expression of love by sending Jesus, his son, to be the Messiah, the savior of the world. It was this outward act that was God's inner commitment of love towards you and me and mankind. You see, true love's depth, it can only be expressed in our actions, not just in our hearts or in our thoughts. Too often we rely on the word on the words that we say to be the largest expression of love and affection. And I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, when I take the uh, love languages test by uh, Dr. Ben Chapman, um, my one of my top love languages is words of affirmation. I love being told I love you. And I often tell other people I love you. I'm very quick to say I love you. I care about you. This, this, and the third. I love being appreciated. And I love people telling me my relationship with you is important. There's a nice tingly feeling that I get on the inside of my heart. And one of my favorite feelings is when my daughter comes up to me and she goes, I love you, Dada. The words and the and, and being embraced, there's just this nice warming feeling that I experience. But the verbal expression of love must also be matched with outward behavioral expressions of love as well. It must be met with love on the outside in what we do that confirms the notion and the feelings of love on the inside, how we feel. And when we have made inner commitments to love others, the evidence of such comes out in what we do for them or towards them, not just what we say about them. As we navigate through this continued season, it feels like this aspect of love, this love that is an action is seemingly lost. You see, love has been marred by grief and despair of a year of confusion and tumult. Those that we used to love, used to care for, used to proclaim as people that we are affectionate towards, we have begun to distance ourselves from them because the idea of who we thought they once were has changed. Perhaps they've disappointed you maybe through their political views or their worldviews or how they orient themselves towards other people or how they respond to a world in crisis. Maybe they are disinterested in you because you have not met the standard of what they think that you should be and how you should live their life, so they've created separation. And as a result of human life and human interaction in this season of struggle, you are left sitting with the feeling of discomfort you aren't who I thought you were. The love we feel towards others cannot and shouldn't be predicated by what we believe others should be. Instead, it should be predicated by who God sees and values them to be. You see, God's love response occurs towards us in the midst of the chaos and the tension that we created. An act of love that can go further and deeper. An act of love can go and will go further and deeper than an act that is right. Let me say this again. Sometimes we get caught up in our own sense of self-righteousness. Imagine if Joseph got caught up in his own sense of self-righteousness. What he believed was the right thing. What would he have missed out on? Mary still would have been 
a woman who had been brought to bring life by the conception of the Holy Spirit. And he would have missed out on the opportunity and the blessing to be the earthly father of the Son of the Most High. An act of love can go farther and deeper than an act that is right. So how have you loved? How have you given love? How have you shown love? Over the course of this year, when tension even in your own house grows, when fear, worry, doubt, and, and, and anxiety exist, how have you shown love to others through your actions, through what you've done? You see, Jesus' fathers modeled this love. And with both of them, through their actions, there is something that is also required and that happens. Their love required sacrifice. And most often than not, our final point, love requires sacrifice. Joseph and, and God the Father both give us vital lessons of love. The actions that both of them took in their expression of love required them to give up, give up something. What do you mean by that, Lionel? Well, let's take a look. First, let's look at Joseph. At the end of Matthew chapter 1, we get a brief line that shows the depth of Joseph's commitment and expression of love towards God, Jesus, and Mary. It says in verses 24 and 25, Joseph did as God commanded. Joseph took Mary as his wife, but he did not have marital relations with her until she gave birth to a son, and he named that son Jesus. Did y'all get that? I hope y'all understood what that means there. Let me, let, let, let's break that down. See, Joseph, after the dream, accepts what God told him, and in an act of commitment and love towards God, he follows God's commandment. He marries Mary, also an act of love, an act where what would have been right, divorcing Mary, would have been okay and acceptable for him to do in the eyes of Jewish law under these circumstances, but yet he marries her with a loving response. Love's response is to marry her. He also accepts Jesus, and the Bible says that he gives the name Jesus to his son, the, the child born of Mary. At this point, Mary is Joseph's wife under the eyes of God and man. And yet, listen y'all, he doesn't lay with Mary until after Jesus is born. The marriage was not consummated until after Jesus came to be in the flesh. This young man, this married man, did not engage in relations. His legal, spiritual, and biological right under the covenant of marriage until after Jesus came to be, he sacrificed. Joseph made a sacrifice that many men, a lot of us men, and a lot of married men, would even now might be unwilling to make if they were in those same circumstances. And to tell you the truth, there are many thoughts as to why that sacrifice happened. And we can get into all the specifics and what theologians believe and yada, 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 etc., etc. But it doesn't change the fact that Joseph, in his act of commitment and love, displayed his perfection in a way of sacrifice. Such a profound method to display his commitment of love towards Jesus, Mary, and God the Father. Christ's birth... Looking at God the Father now, 
would be the ultimate supernatural display of God's love towards mankind. You see, because Christ's glorious birth would lead to his eventual death. A death that would be a sacrifice because as we read in John 3, chapter 6, uh, chapter 3, verse 16, it said very clearly, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. He gave his only son to perish on our behalf. And later in John chapter 3, verse 17, right, the next verse after, it says, God sent his son, Jesus, into the world as in an act of love so that he can save you and save me. In his act of love, God was willing to sacrifice a part of himself, Jesus, the Son of God, so that we can experience the fullness of his love towards us. And that leads me to a question this morning. Is love's response calling you to make a sacrifice somewhere in your life? Too often we stop short of acting in love because of the sacrifice that it's going to require of us. And I'm going to be 100% honest today. A lot of us struggle with this notion. Little example, one of the things that I hate the most, y'all, is washing dishes. And when we got married, um, I think it was actually even in our premarital counseling, I told my wife, I will do anything. I just hate washing dishes. I hate it. I, I, I don't like washing dishes. I will clean the bathroom. I'll clean the house. I'll vacuum our dust. I'll do all of that. But for everything good, please, I don't want to wash dishes. And at first, my wife was cool with it. Like, she was down. But the further we got into our life as a family, and as our family continued to grow and our family changed, it became more apparent that there was a need to shift. But y'all, even though there was a need, I still hated washing dishes. It bothered me. And I did not want to make a concession. And for what it's worth, when I got married off the gate, I said, this is me. I don't want to do this. So boom, you notice out the gate. If we're going to be married, I'm not wash. I don't want to wash dishes. But slowly it became more apparent to me and more clear that the mark of loving commitment would be evident in my willingness to act out and sacrifice in an area where the need arose. So one of the sacrifices that I've grown accustomed to is washing dishes. I still hate washing dishes. Don't get it twisted. There are days where I walk past some bad boys and I'm like, maybe they'll disappear. But at the end, I recognize that the sacrifice, that small sacrifice that I made is a sign of love and commitment to another person that I am walking with. You see, sometimes a love's response requires us to give up something that we adore, something that is precious to us, something that we know that we want to hold on to, but someone else is in desperate need of. Or maybe sometimes it requires us, to, uh, well, sometimes it, it's about something that we hate or despise and promise that we would never do because it's not what we agreed to or who we pictured ourselves to be. Or sometimes it is something that we are actually in need of, but someone else is in greater lack or is in greater need of, and we have to be willing to sacrifice. 
Or maybe it's something that we feel we have the right towards, like it's ours. It's Whether it's our own natural desires or something like our pride or our ego or the internal belief of who we believe we should be or our self-worth. And giving it up causes us to struggle with our own insecurity and personhood. Or maybe it's peace of mind, silence, or a sense of internal control that we know without our world might become just a little bit more chaotic. The list can go on and on, but the same question remains. What sacrifice can you make as an act of love for someone who needs it right here, right now? As we look at Joseph and God the Father, both of these fathers were willing to sacrifice and express their inner commitment of love outwardly through what they did, not just by what they said. And as we get ready to pray and reflect today on these journeys, ask yourself some questions. Are you fixated on the ideals and idea of what you think love should be? You know, last week when we discussed what it means to be joyful and content, are you uh, are you able and willing to allow for yourself to be content and joyful in all things? Or would a sense of disappointment lead you to a disinterest towards those that you are supposed to be loving? Are you willing to sit in the tension of what love sometimes brings? Are you willing to sit with the idea of having to address, adjust, and adapt in the name of love? Are you ready to express your commitment of love through what you do, not just what you say? And are you willing to put yourself, your own desires, your own thoughts, what you bring to the table to the side and sacrifice on behalf of someone else who needs it? Are you willing to put yourself second in the hope of seeing love's response play out in the life of someone you are interacting or interfacing with today. As we end Advent, I leave you with these questions to sit and ponder with. Think of that person, think of that situation where love needs to increase, where love needs to abound, where you can sacrifice, where you can express that love in the midst of the discomfort that you feel and put your ideals to the side and just love. Let's pray. Father, we've had the chance to meditate on your word today and we ask that you begin to implant in us where love needs to grow. Father, we ask that we put our ideals and ideas of love to the side, Father. And in the midst of that, we can sit with the discomfort that sometimes comes with loving other people. Father, sometimes loving other people is tough. But God, you displayed the ultimate example of love towards us when you sent your son, Jesus Christ, as 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 the Messiah to bear the weight and the burden and brunt of what should have come to us. And Father, as we look at Joseph, who also, Father God, had his own ideals and expectations and had to sit with his own discomfort, he was willing to make love's choice to accept Mary and walk in your will, Father God, as the earthly father to Jesus, the child of the Immaculate Conception. Father, where can we sacrifice? Reveal to us today where we can make a change, where we will be willing 
to where we can be willing to express love in action for someone else today. And Father, let us be able to do so with a joyous and content heart. Let us be the hope to other people who need it. Let us bring peace to those that are in search of it. Let us find joy in the midst of chaos and let us be the love, love embodied in what we do that reflects the light of your son, Jesus, the Messiah who will be born on Christmas Day. We thank you. We honor you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 